welcome to another episode of the Critical Channel, the show about life in Berlin tech startups. My name is Pedro Carvalho, and I'm one of your hosts today, joined by Max, Kieran, Italo, and we're finally going to talk about microservices. May Sam Newman forgive us. But first, this. Ah! Ah! That was good. good. Yeah, you see this like huge chunk on the waveform. That's Big like chunk. easily distinguishable. Yeah. Chunky yeah. chunk. Very chunky. Very good. Yep. Cool. Amazing. So let's do this. So where I found I found yeah. the microphone. While we were all yelling, ah, I found the microphone that I was uh that I was talking about. Um that what I really want to try. It is the Samsung Q2U USB slash XLR dynamic microphone dash black dash SAQ2UHD. On Amazon.da. Yeah, Samsung's are good. That model name is Poetry. I know, right? <laughs> they, they just the marketing department are just on form. They're they really also, earning their keep there. Oh, also, yeah. That's a slightly confusing name, though, because whenever someone says Samsung, it sounds like Samsung. And not Samsung. Samsung, yeah. you know, and not Samsung. Yep. But uh, I would um, honestly. I'm I'm tempted to just pick one up and just try it out and then probably end up sending it back because I don't need it because I've got a good enough microphone. But I think this might be my microphone to recommend to anybody who has terrible audio. And uh, my uh, my boss just bought a, a, a microphone and he went for the he went for the Blue Yeti that everybody goes for when they don't mm-hmm. know any better. Myself included, I went, also went for the Blue Yeti when I didn't know any better. Yeah, I have a couple of friends it. who did the same. Immediately regretted it. Despite so their marketing is me on point. giving them advice of like not doing this. They yeah. asked specifically. I told them, hey, you know what? No matter what you do, this is just overly expensive and you can get better or like equally good microphone for lesser price. And they yeah, were like, I think thank you is, for I your think... recommendation and went for it anyway. <laughs> well, I'll jam the microphone in the show notes. I just put it in the chat so everyone here can see it as well. But like, it is the Samsung Q2U. It's only seventy euros, and I think I think this is the one, guys. I think I think it's the one. Nice. I think I think, I think everybody should pick it up. Apart from Lino, these two fancy road boys here. Or what? What have you got, Neumanns? Not Neumanns, yeah. unfortunately, not yet. Not but yet. We're getting there. The time will come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, true Berliners should get Neumanns, right? <laughs> or, it's expected. Uh, what's the... Oh, I forgot what the interface I've got is. I've got a Berlin-based company uh, made the interface I use as well. And I forgot yeah. their name. I knew that and I forgot it too. Yeah, well, anyway, like Berlin represent. Something, something mm-hmm. complete. Something, audio. something, city of DJs. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> That might actually be rebranded Rode because Rode they they have like absolutely the same looking interface. It might be, but I know never, it's a burning ne- company um, that made it, and I've forgotten the name of it. So this is you know really interesting radio that we're doing right now while I'm trying to remember the name of something and and can't. Uh, <laughs> don't remember good. what I was going to the say. The sound <laughs> of good. googling. It's called Native yeah. Instruments. There you go. Native Instruments. Oh, yeah, na- Native and Instruments. And it's complete with a K. Complete audio. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very German. Well, there you have it. Our professional advice on, on audio gear. I mean, you can't have a podcast without audio gear, so this is this is on topic in a way. I mean, apparently yeah. you can. You've been 
like recording i don't know yeah i'm for, waiting for i'm waiting for the point without like really a professional gear so you can i'm waiting for the can. point 35 minutes into this when your airpods crap out and like, sorry guys my battery's gone beep 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 <laughs> it, it might happen it might happen uh so we gotta make it quick yeah today today i have no audio gear because i am not at home i am uh in fact uh in a island very far up to the north um well, they but have sunshine this time of year, but not yep, other yep, times yep. of year. Mm-hmm. Not other times, no. Just just this one time. Mm-hmm. And then you can't sleep because it's uh, just too sunny. Oh, that's hell. I mean, I can't sleep anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference, but yeah. Same. <laughs> I mean, I sleep like a rock, even if it's sunny or not. I've probably got a cure I'm for that for you. Lucky you. It's like... Yep. No. Techno and cocaine, that would do it. Yep, that would do it. <laughs> Fixing your sleep for years. <laughs> what you're going to do is not sleep a lot now so that, you know, in the future, when you're old and there's nothing better to do, you can sleep a lot. Yeah, I hope we you get just kind to of, that point. You kind of get backed up and then you can, you can cash it all in at once. That's how biology works. Don't, don't look at me. I didn't, uh, I didn't yeah, think. Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw this picture of a couple, very old couple, going to the gondola, gondolas in Venice. But of course, they slept through the whole ride. And that's what happens when you have a lot of money, but you're tired. So. Honestly, it sounds better than being on a gondola in Venice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Venice, Venice wasn't my jam when I went there a long, long time ago. But it's, I can't imagine it's improved much. Yeah, yeah I read I someone like, asking on the internet yesterday, like, how do people demonstrate in Venice? <laughs> a lot of gondolas all, like, all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> gondolas everywhere. I don't yeah. know how like how much Italians tend to demonstrate. Besides, it's such a tourist town that I'm not sure there's that much like demonstration going on there. But like this, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this seems to be so much more prominent since moving to Berlin. Like in the UK, a yeah. demonstration was like the entire country flocks to like london or something for this one particular day whereas here you just kind of wander outside and like oh i guess i like not only is there a demonstration but i guess i'm part of it now (laughs) every saturday every saturday there's a different demonstration guys like (laughs) what's this sign you've given (laughs) (laughs) i I like it i'm part of it that's a good thing though guys come on that's a good thing it's a big sign saying airport batteries should last longer we're we're not complaining just saying it's kind of Kind of unusual at first, right? It's it's yeah. Yeah, it's no, an unusual I, city, yeah. I I like it about the city, but it's just one of those things that took some getting used to for sure. Mm. Or or also, you know, every now and then you you leave your apartment and you get run over by someone in a tutu uh, on rollerblades, and they're being chased by a bunch of dinosaurs also on rollerblades, um, because there's some kind of like weird co- costume rollerblade race going on. That, that's also a thing that happens. And that's like You're going to have to introduce me to your dealer later on. <laughs> <laughs> just come to, just 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 come over to Torstrasse and uh, and I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it happened because of COVID, but uh, but but it was a yearly thing. Yeah, things you see in Berlin that you might not see in Munich or Frankfurt. Yeah, so oh, just come to Berlin and see them afterwards. Nope. Nope. It, it, it stays in Berlin. Some of them, they just stay in Berlin. You just don't. 
Oh, thankfully, thankfully, some of them yeah. stay in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. In the interest of uh, Pedro's AirPods uh, batteries, shall we? Uh, shall we make with our headline topic? Let's do sure. it. We're really on the clock today because those things, you know, I think they've got about twenty minutes left in them. Oh my god! <laughs> sure, chop chop. What's the topic then? So uh, today we, uh, you know, let's say you've started on your microservice journey. You you had uh, why? You had a, well, why would you do that? That might be part of it. I don't know. You can tell me in a minute. But uh, you know, you you had an early on monolith. You decided, okay, like the the way that we want to solve this problem is with a few microservices, uh, and you, you you get a few, and you're like, okay. This is either going well or it's not going well, but uh, obviously there's some overhead to managing these. So how can we manage these? How can we also design the the future of our microservice journey to keep it manageable so it doesn't become more of a mess than the monolith we were trying to get away from in the first place? Um, so it's about like the design, uh, both from a technical point of view and from a um, kind of domain-driven design, almost perspective of what your microservices should, uh, how, how they should be organized and how they can be technically kind of orchestrated to, to keep the overhead of them as minimum as possible so that you get as many of the benefits of them as possible and as few of the drawbacks. I'm very happy we're talking about this. It, it's such a technical topic and um, on the surface, but it's actually an organizational topic at heart. And and, and, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think we're past like the, the peak of microservice hype but it's still very topical and still very, very, very relevant. So I'm, I'm just saying that I'm super happy we're talking about this today. I think, you know, you know, you've passed the peak of the hype when you get people doing like anti-hype for them. You get these blog posts that go, why we rolled a hundred microservices back into our monolith because we decided this wasn't a good idea. And they write like a medium <laughs> post about it and then end up at the top of Hacker News. Um, yep. It, Inevitably, I end up reading those and go, it sounds like maybe you didn't take the right approach to doing this. And then rather than kind of looking holistically at how you can fix that problem, you you kind of went back on it to what you know, which might be the right thing to do and for your particular use case and for your company. But I think uh, as you as you put it, Pedro, it's more of an organizational problem. Like I find that they're, they're a good way of solving um I don't. I don't think a, a microservice is, is often like the right approach, just purely on a technical basis. It's more because there are various, like, almost social issues within your organization that you, that they help you solve. So, for example, you know, people stepping on each other's toes because uh, they're all touching the same bit of the code base is a really good way of you, you can make a monolith as modular as possible, but like taking that to its logical like next step, breaking the code base apart is, is I think, uh, a really good way of. of you know, stopping people from stepping on each other's toes and from, uh, from, you know, not causing bugs in complete different parts of the system that they don't necessarily know about because they're a domain expert on this part of the system, but then they change it and they f break something completely. Um, it's a good yeah. way of enforcing a contract in terms of your REST or gRPC or whatever interface between, between services that, you know, the bug stops here for this team. It's a good way of bringing the need of enforcement, not necessarily a good way of enforcing the contract. That's a separate mm. kind of topic, I would say. Yeah. But hey, how, how about we start by defining microservices? Because I, I, I think it might be interesting for our uh, listeners to, to get on the same page here. 
I think for us, it's pretty obvious because we talk about it all the time amongst ourselves. But I think a lot of people just really focus on uh, just the aspect of microservices being, um, you know, just just literally a bunch of software services running in different hosts, usually, and all networking together. But if you if you if you leave the definition there then you're really just talking about a very simplistic kind of service-oriented architecture, not really going into what makes microservices microservices. Um, so so let's let's define them. Like what, what do you guys what do you guys think when you think microservices? Mm-hmm. For Except once Max, I think Ma- that. Max thinks for like once I think support. that. <laughs> yeah. Which you just said is not very good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Or maybe bit too narrow way of thinking about it yeah because it just looks at the tech right it just looks at the code um it's like oh it's a bunch of different apps then they're all running uh you know next to each other on the same network or whatever and they and they and there's a message broker in there and there's you know restful apis i think think you've already got more specific than you need to be to be honest i think i think yeah yeah, um, totally yeah i mean you you said that the magic words which is service-oriented architecture which is what we used to call microservices in the early 2000s like before you know the kids came along and needed a new word to describe them um but i I mean that's facetious and simplifying as well but like honestly uh you know it's it's about like you know the way thinking about the way that you you might like modularize a code base and taking that to its logical next step as i said before it's it's about you know okay uh this part of at least for me and this i think this is it's important because i don't there is like maybe a good objective or at least agreed upon objective definition of microservices i I think there always is some subjectivity in there it's a loaded topic but i think for me it's like um it's it's like taking a, a need to know principle, like saying, okay, this part of the code base like does not and should not need to know about, you know, X Y Z. Like this is this is billing, and billing does not need to know about uh, our warehousing system. The the two things should never interact. So, in order to help that along, in order to help protect against kind of the, any bleed through there, having those as separate code bases makes a lot of sense and you can then start to talk about you know people take microservices to extremes and you end up with like left pad as a service or something um that is function as a service already yeah there's there's different levels you can do this too you can actually start to go down the you know the function as a service using aws lambda or open faz or whatever kind of route um but i think at that point you you know I, i think there's no argument at that point that it's a microservice my my uh my contention would be that the microservice like splits at the domain level rather than rather than you know at the function level or at the yeah absolutely yeah. i always like to think about bounded context right from ddd yes. that like super super helpful when you're thinking about either a monolith application where you're building modules and you think about bounded contexts or the same when you're building you know services you just split them by context and then it's easy if you want to extract them out of a monolith or if you want to build it from scratch already the trick is defining the bounding context right yes, that is exactly. that is the hard part of the job uh, building the service it's it's not that hard problem so for, for the for the un- uninitiated do you want to give a quick ddd uh, bounded well specifically bounded context but also like talking you probably need to bring a bit of language in but just a little quick like two minute like what is this 
Right. Um, yeah, okay. So the bounded context um, in the DDD terminology, it's a way for you to split like a, a business part of your logic or a business unit of your organization into something logical, right? So think about what Kieran just said, billing, right? So billing per se is a very like separate thing, part of finance, right? So finance is the big scope. Billing is the small little scope that you want to split from finance. And that is a context, right? Like that is one part of the business that you have to invest on. And it doesn't need to interact with, what did you say? The supply chain? Uh, supply Was that it? Like, yeah, sure. Let's say supply chain or, yeah, or accounting system, right? So the accounting system, which is even closer to billing, it's still separate, right? Like th those are two different things. Or those are two different world, worlds where they don't, do not need to interact with each other when building their, their, let's say, specific systems. But at some point, you have to make connections between them. And that is how you communicate between bounded contexts. So if you want to read more about it, I would definitely recommend that you go to Martin's Fowler website and read about, you know, bounded context, which is super cool. Everybody that knows me will say that I always recommend you reading Martin Fowler's uh, articles. I just like them. But um, yeah, this is also from Eric. What's his name? Eric something something. Evans. Uh, Eric Evans. There we go. Yeah. So he is like one of the gurus of domain-driven design. But the idea of bounding context is that you have this kind of split in your mind. And for this, you have to do like some mind modeling, um, you know, put some some thought into this. Just, um, just to add to yeah. that as well, one of the ways that I've uh, used to explain it in the past um, to, to help find your bounded context is when the same word stops meaning the same thing uh, yes. in different areas of, of the business, right? So for example, in... Uh, in your supply chain in a procurement system, an order refers to a purchase order, whereas in your checkout, an order refers to the order that the customer is placing. So, like that's a those good are two different things. Sign that yeah. those are two different bound of contexts entirely, even though they use the same word. Yeah, that is yeah. a great. Yeah, that is a great yeah. example. Oh. And the implications are different, right? Like um, in in real life, you are the same person, but you have one representation for your doctor who's concerned about your you know blood work and your symptoms and you have a different representation for your insurance broker who cares about how much you earn who cares about your risk profile even though you're the same person uh your meaning is different in mm. these different contexts right I, I think that's that's kind of an easy way to understand how you can have something in an in, in, in a system like an order or a customer and they kind of mean different things in practice in different yeah. bounded contexts. So, uh, Kieran, I think that's a really good that's a really good uh, way to to identify where where that where there's a switch to a different bounded context. Um, there but is... it's so hard. It's so hard to like start from scratch and yeah. get those bounds right. I think it's really hard. I think I think I haven't seen that you know in, in practice. Mm. being done for anything that's like of non-trivial complexity i think i think that's 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 why uh you know like sam newman himself the guy who wrote the very famous book about microservices uh actually tends to recommend like just start simple right start with a monolith because that helps you to work on your code it helps you develop your code it helps you understand your domain and and, and, and once you have that understanding it's a little bit less hard to find where the where the where the boundaries should should be 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who got boundary context right starting from scratch if they have a lot of domain knowledge about what they're building. But I, I, I don't know. I, I think I, well, I think that's I think it. I think it comes, it comes down to domain knowledge and being yeah. and, and having subject matter experts with you. Um, it's in, in terms is, of... Go on, Max. Yeah, there is also the complexity that comes with it. It's much easier to start with a monolith, right? If we talk, let's say servers, you just run it somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I don't, I don't think anybody anybody is like building a company day one and going, okay, we need to, you know, we we need to plan out our microservices. I think um, there's so much discovery going on that you're pretty much guaranteed to get it wrong, and then the cost of kind of going back on that and trying to fix it is greater than the cost of getting it wrong. Uh, in a monolith in a, in a single code base. However, you know, let's... Um, this, so the example I gave at the beginning of the topic was, you know, maybe, you know, you've got your monolith and you're looking to to start, like, breaking it up. Uh, Pedro, you, you asked why, and maybe we can dive into that a little bit. But, like... Uh, you know, let, let's let's work under the the assumption that you know. Uh, I think there's there's many more companies out there who have a monolith, and and uh, it's a bit of a mess, and it's kind of looking what to do with it, right? Sure. Um, yeah, like just, I mean, to connect those two points, even if you have a monolith, or if you want to start from a microservice point of view, like you know, aside from the complexity that yeah, microservice will bring, which is we we can discuss about this uh, mm -hmm. later. Um. Do an event storming session. If you don't know what event storming is, I was go Google it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. do an event, event, event storming because that is going to help you identify your bounded context. I think it might have been renamed event modeling now or something. Yeah. Like a I think that's a variation of it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so either even modeling, event storming is what I knew. I'm getting old, as I can see. <laughs> so yeah that's, this, such a, that's, that's such good advice Ito. like like the, the the benefits of just uh just just projecting what you have in your mind onto some support uh, and just like mapping out what the system is supposed to do um is so underrated uh and it solves so many problems totally right there it really and really just, helps. just to fill again to fill in anybody who's listening who's not familiar with event storming or modeling or whatever it's called this week um this is basically an exercise where you where you find every post-it note in the entire office and you steal them all. <laughs> uh, and then there's a there's a certain color code which I can never remember off the top of my head, but that's why I always print off a little key or something. Um, of like you you know this post-it note means that it's uh, an event that an event user, a command a, that a user does in your system, and this post-it note is like a reaction to that and that kind of thing. Um, and you get a bunch of subject matter experts from a bunch of different parts of your business in the room and you map out like your, your business workflow from start to finish. Um, and then you're left with the giant mess on the wall of and no more post-it notes. Uh, but then what you do is you can start to move them around and group them and, and uh, you start to see emergent patterns that, that can really help inform these bounded contexts. It's a, it's a very, very nice exercise. It's very time consuming. So be aware of that, but it's, um, I can only recommend if you can spare the time, you will save a lot of time later on when, you know, architecting your system or thinking about it. So absolutely go for it. It's really, really nice. So um, we've touched on, you know, DDD, we've touched on event storming. These are good ways of like determining how you might want to set up your, your microservice architecture. Um, something I'd like to talk about as well as how team structure plays into that, particularly uh, Conway's law, which is probably an episode in itself, but we can we can touch on that quickly. Um, 
because I think it's uh, it's super crucial to have uh, to that what you're doing whenever you're writing software, whether that's microservices or not. What you're doing is you're you're modeling a business into computer language. You're you're modeling it into software, um, and you're trying to get that as, as accurate as possible. You know that's why we that's why we call things like uh, ORM you know models models right. It's it's the same as having a model uh, car or plane or something. You have a certain level of fidelity and, and less complexity than the real world, but you're trying to make an, an accurate model of something from the real world. And it's the same with, with all software. Um, but if you're, uh, something that I've seen over and over and over again, it's so hard to solve, but if your um, business structure, team structure, both in the software uh, part of your organization and, and the rest of your organization does not kind of accurately map what your business does and if you have a lot of like handovers and you have to keep waiting on people to get a certain thing done from a different team um you know kind of all the the tenants of the original like devops movement like not not having any of these handovers and, and trying to minimize like waiting time and stuff like that um so you know if, if your your team model does not match that accurately then honestly your microservice model or your just your domain model is kind of destined to fail because it's gonna it, it's gonna just organically grow to match the model of your teams. Um, and this is something called Conway's law and, uh, it's very yeah, important. And yeah, it is. And I, th I think you see a big part of, of that in action in, in, in places where, you know, there's a, maybe there's a, there's a very bold move to microservices, let's say, and the uh, conception of microservices there is just purely technical. So we're just going to break apart the code base because our, our builds are too long or, you know, some kind of tech, purely technical issue. And then uh, because that doesn't come with a corresponding change in the, in the teams um, themselves, the team's purposes, team's compositions, the team's uh, um, sizes and, and, and the number of teams and, you know, all things that go into their topology, you get the situation, I find, where uh, the communication between people is chaotic. Everyone talks to everyone else. There's no clear flow for any value stream. And so your services also follow a very similar pattern where everything talks to everything else. There's no, there's no intent behind any request. Everything is kind of just like a very distributed database where everything just has, you know, CRUD methods attached to them and, 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 and that's it. So what you're, I think what you're saying that Kieran is super, super important. Like take a look at the teams, what they're, what they're for, and then have the services sort of follow that. Um, and in the same way as event storming, you know, you can, and this is yeah. more of kind of an agile exercise, but you can, uh, you can take a team and map out like where their communications structures are like, okay, do you know, when, when you're performing, when you're, when you're going through a kind of normal feature, how, how does that communication work? You know, do oh, you have to talk to the product owner cause you have to get more, um, information on what should have already been on the ticket. Maybe you have to go to QA. There's this other team that are a blocker for that. And just like write that down as you go and map all that out. And it will kind of become obvious that actually like maybe that person is more suited to being in this team, or maybe like we should split this team in half because like we don't talk to the other half of the team anyway. So why, why is it the same team? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, ceremonies are really good for that. You can very easily spot who's, you know, uh, the like the clusters of of, of conversation mm -hmm. that happen. So why would you go microservices again? You know, like everything that you said that we've said so far. You know the you know uh, DDD 
Um, all this applies to monoliths as well. I mean, this is this is this is, does not necessarily tell us that you should have microservices. Like you could definitely have a very nicely architected monolith where the where the bounded contexts are present and correct. There's you know uh, there's there's a very disciplined um, use of communication between different uh, different contexts. Uh, so when you when you introduce a network boundary. And you actually have services that have to network together. Um, like, what what takes us there? What takes us to have to do that? Um, I think we can we can think about you know even if you have a microservice, oh sorry, a monolith that you know it's very very well organized, uses DDD and bounded context and ubiquitous language. Everything is really well set. And suddenly your team grows a lot, right? So you have this team scale problem where now you have, I don't know, 50 people touching the same code base and different priorities to deliver different things at different times. But you're still dealing with the same code base and you're still deploying them all together. That is one one where, where your main problem starts to arise um, because you're going to have a, like, a lot of people dealing with a lot of stuff trying to deploy in different times, or but they can't. Or joining a massive queue for deployments or something. That is the famous uh, deployment, deployment train. train. Uh, there was exactly. Here that are now there. Do you um, so that I, is I, just, so to, just to build tricky. on this as okay. well, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, you know, having a, again, it's almost like, almost like an organizational issue of, of a mm. lot of people trying to, trying to touch all the same code base. Um, but Pedro, you also mentioned that there might be some technical reasons to do this. Like your build times get really long. Mm. You know, you have, uh, maybe you have cruft of like a mix of, uh, unit tests and end to end tests that are really difficult for you to separate. And then, you know, that, that is really long, uh, to execute. So splitting that, you know, splitting that in half or splitting, you know, part of that off can really help to, to improve the situation. Uh, well, and then one of the scaling the I, this itself. is exactly what I was about to say scaling yeah, the application scalability yeah. because uh, one of the reasons we, you know we have um, one particular microservice where I'm working now that I'm thinking of uh, that is scaled significantly more than the rest of the application because it it, it has significantly more traffic um, the the monolithic application. I don't even want to think how much it would cost to scale that. So there is, you know, a more practical concern rather than a theoretical concern sometimes too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, the technical issue, it's interesting to see because a lot of people were like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to build a microservice environment because I'm going to have a lot of repos all over the place. And then standardization is going to become like, like a problem. And then we jump into this problem of mono repo or, you know, or, or, or multi repos and, and so on. So, uh, you know, you have other kind of issues which are kind of hidden when you're not into a microservice world. And then once you go there, you have scalability issues that are trying to solve. You have team issues that are trying to solve. You have code organization issues that are trying to solve. So you have all these three dimensions to think about. Um, but why would you go, it, go there? It's like, well, if my team grows, potentially microservice could help. Might not be the solution if you don't know what you're doing, though. So you have to be very careful. But yeah. if your team is growing, you know, and you know what you're doing, 
and you know how to split services and you know and how you to make have them communicate some level of standardization already that you can kind of build off of that is the other topic yeah. yeah absolutely on the code organization if you have some standardization great microservice will be a breeze for you if you go there with no observability no standardization no <laughs> nothing yeah. and go microservices because your teams are growing you're going to suffer worse than having a monolith to scale Sim simple things like centralized authentication and cores mm. and that kind of thing like the, without that it becomes there becomes much more a nightmare because you end up having to re-implement yeah. authentication yeah i think for a lot of people discover the need of the things only when they go microservices because suddenly there is like more of everything yeah there is well, like I, I, more actually, repos more this and more that and more servers and more mm -hmm. clusters of servers and clusters more of whatever you can exactly imagine. I think it is a, a, pro a process of discovering stuff, though, and both in terms of like discovering that there's a lot of complexity to doing this, but it actually, um, in my experience, it helps you discover a lot of stuff about your code base as well and about where you might have dependencies that don't make any sense. But because in a monolith, it's, you know, a method call away. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's hidden. Yeah. It's hidden. You don't, yeah. you don't see it so well. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're saying basically is that you know it's not really uh, it's not really like a, like an arcane uh, art. There are actually some principles that we can follow here. You know, we can take a look at our situation and we can you know we can take all these things that you guys have been talking about. You know, are our teams growing? If so, maybe it makes sense to separate things so that people can work independently, which I think also ties together with the organizational uh, aspect. Maybe I have an area of the product that's just in heavier development right now, so having to drag the entire code base onto every deploy uh, is going to have a cost uh, is going to have a cost in money and in time and in resources it's going to slow things down so there's a reason right there to split things up um, there's also there's also you know performance issues scaling from a technical point of view as you said here and just scaling things like maybe again maybe there's an area of the of the of the, of the, of the system that has much more like orders of magnitude more load and you don't necessarily want to serve the whole thing from the same machines you want to like scale horizontally or move into different kinds of machines altogether so you can i think i think at the end you can basically rewind the last 10 minutes of this episode and we were good we, we just told you all these like checklist items also that you can go through and say all right uh, am i am i getting am i getting benefits here if i take this approach uh you might not but you might also have some benefits in which case absolutely go go ahead right that's that's the, that's the idea that's why it's there i think you touched, yeah. you touched upon the concept of intent earlier on mm. as well and i think that like um there's there's no sense in well there's no sense in doing anything because it's the trendy thing or it's the top of hacking news or because you have a developer who likes to you know spout the word microservices and and so you do it because he says it right like you have to not only you have, do you have to have intent but you have to uh, devise a, a plan, devise a roadmap to go down this path. Otherwise, I think I think you're kind of destined to make things more complex without actually having that many benefits. So you have to kind of know, okay, like we we want to do this, but uh, these are like here's the intent. These are the problems that we're going to solve by doing this. The specific problems that we have, as opposed to you know generic problems that that we've been able to say on this call. But like the, this is the specific use case for for my company, uh, and then also. You know, um, and we also know that this is, you know, this is the structure that makes sense for our domain model. Like it makes sense for, uh, so, you know, the company that I work for, we deal a lot with um, 
like messaging stuff like email and, and instant message and chat and that kind of thing. So it makes sense for us to have services that are related to messaging. That's also, you know, some of the highest traffic parts of our application are to do with that. Um, we, we know that we planned for that, but you need to know what that is for your company as well. Yeah, there is, there is something that could be very intimidating when, you know, thinking about microservices, which is you have a monolith and you know, we, you hear us saying like, Hey, you go microservice, you're going to get this benefits and so on. But then you look at your, your monolith and you're like, where do I start? Right. You have a huge service and mm -hmm. now you have to convince your product people to say, Hey, I need to migrate this because it's going to make my life much easier. Um, this is potentially the wrong way of looking at the problem. Um, and you know, if you think about the most natural way of starting with microservices, at least in my experience, is that you develop a new feature as a service, right? So that, that's normally Absolutely. when you start, when you yeah. start introducing microservices into your, uh, into your companies. Uh, you have a new feature that you know you can build completely isolated, or if not isolated, at least with little dependency as possible, then you can build it completely separate and see how the behavior of that service develops, right? Like how it communicates with your monolith. How do you avoid having database dependencies or, or whatever data storage you have. Uh, how can you make the service more stateless and, and so on? Well, and also you can see how painful of a process that is for you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, given your, your teams and their ability and their time and the service that you've chosen and the, the monolithic code base that you've got to integrate with somehow, like there's a lot of trade-offs to doing this. And so like by trying with something where the stakes are a bit lower than like, okay, we're going to spend two months ripping a part of the system out that, you know, the opportunity cost of that is, could be huge. You can actually say, look, we're going to build something we're going to do anyway, and we're going to take a risk and we're going to try something new. Um, mm -hmm. And we're, we're going to see if it works. If it doesn't, if, if it doesn't work out, then fine. Like you build the feature it's still there and you can look at reintegrating it with the monolith if you want to in future. Uh, if it works out, then it, you know you'll have some learnings from that, and you can apply that to the next time. Yeah, that's absolutely such good advice. You know, like you're touching on the cost factor, which I think for a lot of developers is boring to think about. But really, thinking about cost is 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 the key um, to, to to a lot of things. If if you can if you can lower the cost, you know, of whatever it is that you want to to, to try. You know, maybe it's a new programming language, maybe it's uh, adopting microservices, maybe it's an entirely new build platform if you can make the cost of that thing low by either decreasing the scope making it smaller or just making it happen at the same time as you're doing something else you know like in this case building a microservice you know building a new feature as a microservice which you know you have to build anyway and so if you add just a little bit of overheads to make that into an external service um that 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 that, that right there is is what as an engineer you got to be thinking about so that you can you can go ahead with your with your initiatives with your ideas and then if you have a good manager uh then you you probably will get you know the the conditions to 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 make that experiment i i think that it's a lot more difficult to have a conversation where you just show up in one day and you say today microservices because yes like that's <laughs> not an argument right no yeah that yeah usually absolutely. doesn't work and it usually doesn't work. Yeah, totally. Especially lately, I guess it, it immediately repels people. You see someone like that, you're like, oh, exactly. We're not doing everything that person is saying. Like, none of it. Nope. Yeah. It's fun, funny how quickly things become a dirty word because, uh, I don't know, because somebody... It's usage. 
somebody somebody's like somebody with a blog says so and then all of oh a yeah you just say word. it often enough and now it's yeah. a dirty word now it's a thing yeah yeah but the thing with uh, with this approach is that you minimize risk and you minimize you know your costs overall yeah. and you're still delivering great customer value so if and you can minimize risk as well. yeah minimize risk minimize cost and still achieve your goals with trying out microservices then why not yeah. right then, yeah then you're, you can... you're biting off the smallest thing possible and then you've yeah. got a nice small feedback loop and you can look at that and you can you know I'm, agile keeps coming up here but you can inspect yeah. and adapt it's right? also so, like yeah super easy to roll back right worst case scenario yeah. you just True. like cancel that is it, a risk like factor. rebuild the feature in like which is why it's worth doing you know in the same language as your monolith so that it, it can if be you can. back yeah as as yeah possible. kind of reintroduced back in sort yeah, of if you need reintegrated yeah. Further, yeah that's what i meant by minimizing risk right you but also can... you're, you're biting off less uh you know less new things at once if, if it's yeah, your first kind of risk dipping cost. your toe into yeah. microservices uh and that's the one thing you're doing new then don't try and do everything new in the same project just just do the one thing yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Right. But then we have the other side of things. So you went microservices. Now what? What do, what do you have to watch out for? Right. So after you chose, okay, I'm no, going to no, try go it out. Back. Yeah. So let's and say then, hypothetically, you know, you've, you've it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of started to work out. You've got uh, three or four of them. They're, they're taking it along nicely. You're like, okay, this, this looks like it's a path for us. Um. What stumbling blocks are you likely to find along the way? I mean, I, some of them have come up already. You know, for example, things like centralized authentication. Uh, you end up re-implementing JWT or whatever in in three or four different services, plus in your monolith, like um, maintenance costs as well as is a big thing, right? Because uh, you know the there's a some notice goes out, you get. Um, Ah, oh, what's the the GitHub thing where they like give you? Oh, there's a security issue. Like, have a bunch security of vulnerabilities that you're gonna, that you're gonna ignore. Dependabot or something. Dependabot. Yeah. That's the Depend one. You get a bunch of dependabot mm, stuff, yeah. right? All of a sudden, and and now there's you know there's a lot more of that to deal with. Um, secret management. You know, like before, maybe uh, you you had you know one or two places where you could like where you had to like encrypt secrets or whatever. Now you've got to propagate that to a bunch of yeah. other places. It's like more um, Docker yeah. images, more yeah. more even mm. more Docker files to write, more more yeah. more yeah. of everything as we said. In, in, entirely new technologies now have to go into your stack. More most likely, like you have to solve discoverability. You might want to go with service don't, mesh don't for even, that. Now it's an entirely new paradigm of serving. That's like you can yeah. spend like the whole year just figuring that out. Yeah. I mean, let's not, and, and, I, I'm too pessimistic, maybe not a year, but still. <laughs> no, but, but this stuff is, is not to be taken lightly. I mean, you, you have to change, you might have to change the entire way that your application is served. Um, and all of a sudden, all of your developers who knew how to troubleshoot Nginx no longer are useful. And now you are dependent on the one person who knows uh, Istio or whatever. So there's there's a knowledge shift that has to happen in your company to accommodate for all this or you stay with the old technologies but then you have hack on top of hack on top of hack to keep everything running so you're always going to be looking at trade-offs so the number of trade-offs you're facing just explodes um uh, as does the cost of change i mean like if you need to change something let's say you need to change how you do observability maybe you you move from elastic stack to datadog or whatever now instead of doing that in one code base you're doing that in two or three or four uh and the more services the the harder it is to to, to, to keep that you know those those patterns the same those those standards the same now 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 you really have like 
almost like to me i think of it as like a city you can have like these privileged services that are you know more actively maintained in the center very big very illuminated very well served and then you're going to have like a, a long tail of decreasing quality in your code base as, as as time goes on which you know now you have to think about that you have to think about what happens to your to, to, to the topology of your of your architecture over time because forget about having everything you know following the exact same, same standards forever if you have more than half a dozen of microservices at least in my in my experience. I mean, drift is just kind of naturally going to happen. Forget forget about having to do yeah. Forget about having to do some kind of migration and moving stuff to Datadog or you know go like doing some migration from Statsd to Prometheus or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, you're just gonna like as as you're learning as you're evolving the way that you do microservices. There's going to be some level of drift. There's going to be a new version of programming language or framework or whatever that you're using that comes out, and you're going to use that in the new ones. Uh, and you're going to decide, actually, like the way that we architected this last one would have been better if we'd done X, Y, Z. So we're going to do that next time. But then the previous one is still architected in that other way, which is, I mean, that's the same problem that you have with the monolith because try re-architecting a monolith. But it is just something to bear in mind that it does compound on itself the more, more microservices you have. And therefore, again, it becomes an organizational problem because do you have the teams and the team structure to have ownership of these and look after them? One thing that helps, though, is having someone experienced, because then you don't have these problems, or you minimize these problems. Um, you know, Pedro, you mentioned one thing where, you know, if you have more than half a dozen microservices, forget about standardization. Not quite sure. Not quite sure if that's the case. You have to think about the standardization and how you want to evolve that standardization. That's called, you know, uh, our evolution of architectures, or from Patrick Kua, actually, evolutionary architecture, which is very, very important. So the way you think about services and how easy do you want to make your developers build a new service, for instance, to make it easy, they have to be standard. Otherwise, you become super heterogeneous and very complicated to manage yeah. everything. Um, I mean, I, I totally agree with you there. I totally agree with you there, which is why I'm personally a fan of like this idea of the paved path. Where mm. you know if you're gonna if you're gonna you know you're gonna evolve your architecture, you know you're gonna be, you know, spinning up uh, new services with some frequency. I think it's really useful when you you solve those problems up front. Like you decide what's the what are the standards, what are the languages, what are the the, the tools, the databases, the build systems, you know, all the components that go into uh, into your design that are sort of blessed and 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 so. You know, you have templates uh, for for applications, and and so you kind of like reduce the decisions that need to be taken for spinning up a new a new service, as long as the paved path technologies work for whatever it is you want do you want to build. And there's other approaches as well. I mean, like you're you're, you're right, like it's not impossible. Uh, maybe I'm maybe being a little bit dramatic. It's quite um, challenging. Been a little burned in the past, but yeah, it is. It is. It, it can is super be really challenging. challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Get, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's what I meant about like having the expertise, right? So if you have someone that's been through that process already and knows the pitfalls, or most of them, right, you can it minimize helps. it. Yeah. Um, like for instance, standardization of logs, right? So if you have someone, somebody in your team that knows Open Telemetry, well, then you don't have that problem anymore for logs, for metrics, for tracing, because you're solving that with a standard. Uh, same yeah. thing for 
okay, I have a architecture, let's say that I chose the hexagonal architecture for my services, right? For all the services. And I want all the services, no matter the language, to follow that. That doesn't work. That's not going to work because each service needs to have their own type of architecture. Now, if you build the building blocks, like hexagonal architecture tells you, okay, you have to have a domain, have to have adapters, you have to have all of that kind of principle. You don't need to build a skeleton for it. You just need to f follow the principle, right? So yeah. that kind of yeah, thing it's kind of... principled thinking, right? Like you yeah. don't necessarily have like a, a very strict rule set for everything, but you have these principles that if you all follow these principles, um, you're probably going to be good because at least everyone's going to understand what's going on with, with each Yeah, with each I, I don't know if you remember, um, like when we worked together um, a while ago, one of the main issues we had with other developers adopting microservices is this standardization issue and people wanting to use their own libraries and we're yeah. kind of building the core libraries to be used by everybody and people are not mm -hmm. liking those libraries because xyz does be does it better so on and so forth that yeah. was my main mistake when building microservices is trying to standardize by a common library to do everything right logs metrics uh, posting into kafka or to whatever right I think that's the wrong approach to trying to standardize things. And as you said, looking at principles, looking at standardizations by 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 knowing the theory really helps. Mm -hmm. uh, a yeah. few libraries will have to be in place, especially if you want to build infrastructure. It helps a lot. Um, but otherwise, you are free to choose your own library as long as you spit out the log the way that we want to receive it by the centralized right. so log. So you agree on standardizing the the the, the edges, like the the, the, yeah. the interfaces. You you all know what you need to produce and consume, but then you're free to choose how you want to get there. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember those times well. They were kind of painful, mm -hmm. and and I, I think I, I think I went into the same. You know, uh, I was in the same train of thought that you were. You know, it was like, okay, we have all these new systems now, and we need to standardize certain things. So you know, library. There we go. Shared library. At that point, you're kind of mon monolithizing yeah, your exactly. microservices because, like, like, why are you sharing code? Like, also, why are you tying your release cycles now to the release cycles of these shared libraries? Because now you do have this coupling. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, uh, application A is on your authentication version one and not application B is an authentication version two. I think and uh, now, the, the best example you, I can think of doing? from them was the RabbitMQ. Uh, yeah. publishing yeah. library that we had, right? Where oh, no. You, oh. Yeah, exactly. That's my that, fault. That, that was so bad. No, that is our fault. That is our fault. Like, we, like we thought about this problem together. But I, I th and you know, just, I think... like, dump a bucket of glue on them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, the, you know, the, the issue with that is um, you, you're trying to... You're going, okay, like, I'm writing, a, I don't know, a Go service or whatever, and I want to... Uh, I want to publish to RabbitMQ or Kafka or something, and I go Google, like, okay, like, how do I publish this you don't think oh is there an internal library that i have to use and if even you know even if you do do that or someone tells you hey you've got to use this library the documentation of that library is usually never as good as it is for like a popular open source library so true yeah support as well like it's just support, like three yeah. people in the company writing the library in their free time maybe yeah absolutely the number one reason not to reinvent the wheel is documentation Dark, you are yeah. never never going to be half as good as a good open source project for documentation. Yeah, it's many things I 
I mean, I totally agree with documentation, but it's the same with support, with functionality, new shiny things. New RabbitMQ version is out, supports some stuff your library doesn't support, then what do you do? It's incredible. You probably moved on by now. You don't have time to go back and add functionality. It sounds very cool. Like, hey, we're now spitting out all this open source projects. We're like giving back to the community. No, you're not. (laughs) You just, you have no idea how hard that actually is. You have something very specific for your company that nobody else can use. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Or so generic that no one actually needs it. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, now we have this. It's like, I don't know, kind of an adapter from this to that. Like, not that many people will need that. Yeah, exactly. Because most people are fine with one single technology. And that that kind of choice that, that we've made for our company, we thought it made sense for us, but nobody else would potentially do it. Um, yep. Yeah. And then also so, yeah. you're kind of limiting the amount of different like not necessarily programming languages, but in general, different tools that people can use. But if we talk about Uh libraries, then we should talk about languages. Then if you say, all right, I have this library and someone goes like, oh, you know what? We in our team tried different things and this particular language like suits so amazingly well to our needs, but there is no library. Now you're a choice. Like, (laughs) do do you go and create another library? What if you have no idea about that language? What if you cannot? Do you force them to do that? It's like forcing ways of doing things instead of forcing outcomes. Like forcing yeah. outcomes appears to be so much better. I think we're I think we're 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 circling around a, a, a topic that is kind of tangential to microservices, but 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 it, it you know being a tangent, it touches on it at one point, which is just because things can be put together doesn't mean that they should necessarily all the time. Like I, I think that the RabbitMQ issue um, went on for longer than, than I worked at the company. But I remember that in the beginning, it came from a, like, it, it was logical. It made sense, right? We had one part of the company that was on the Apache uh, Foundation group of technologies for legitimate business reasons and then we had another part of the company that was on you know different technologies for productivity reasons and you know one needed kafka the other one was better off with RabbitMQ. and these were in, in in isolation sensible decisions the issue came when we needed to use one to feed the other and we knew that it was possible and it seemed like a very small thing I think a big failure that I should own because I was in charge of that at the time was that, uh, you know, I, I knew that it was possible to connect to the, the two things. And I, I launched an initiative that was essentially underscoped and understaffed. I think, I think that I underestimated the, all of the edge cases and all of the complexities that came from wrangling vastly different standards, like just vastly different natures of these two messaging systems. We couldn't just do a one-to-one mapping. Uh, for starters, um, and so this this entire this entire um, job of, of 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 taking information from Revit and putting it into into uh, Kafka just should have been treated as a much more important, much bigger initiative than it was. Just, just so that it could, me we, we could deliver a better product connector for two things. Again, developed yep. in-house, we have this thing that was like shoveling messages yeah. from one to into the other. Exactly. So oh, wow. and, uh, and suddenly, suddenly we had like messages being dropped everywhere. Oh yeah, people never do that. 
if you think that's a good idea, most likely it isn't. No. And uh, that brings us back to Microsoft. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that brings us back to actually having people who know things. It's, uh, but also, yeah, you know, in, ter- in terms of, you know, Pedro saying, like, the initiative was was understaffed and underprepared for for the task that was at hand and maybe maybe you know with a bit more research into what needs to go into such a large project uh the decisions would have been different or maybe would have embarked down a completely different route or not gone down that route at all or something right um so having all that information to hand and having the 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 people and the support and the knowledge to to be able to um, execute on it is super important for something like microservices because there's no way that moving to a microservices architecture is like it can be done iteratively but it's not a small project especially when you factor support and stuff into it yeah absolutely but even on that example that pedro brought up you know okay there, there were legitimate reasons to use those two technologies in different parts of the business and i think that was the problem really so we tried to solve the aftermath of a problem, basically. And the problem was having two technologies to solve the same problem in different ways, which is messaging. And we, we kind of face messaging as queue instead of streaming. Right. Because we didn't have the experience at the time. Right. Like we, we did know. So, yeah, that is that was interesting. So we made the mistakes so you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, this also stems from from important decisions being made in isolation, right? I mean, it was like we got to a point where technically we had a lot of stuff done that we couldn't just redo. Um, and some of the stuff just would not work with RabbitMQ and some of the other stuff would just not work with Kafka. I mean, not without massive, like, custom... Yeah adapters and, and drivers and, and, and stuff. But we I think I agree, like we could have avoided this if if the decisions that, that led to that would have been made with uh you know from a place of experience and that would give us the foresight to say, hey, maybe if this part of our stack goes in this direction, we are probably going to run into this category of issues. Uh I think no one can really like tell the future to the yeah. extent of foreseeing the exact issues. But I think you can see the categories of issues that you might be looking at potentially. And um, and there's yeah, a lot of I information mean, out there when it comes, you know, specifically when it comes to something like microservices. I don't think many people have written stuff yeah. about like mapping RabbitMQ to Kafka and, and yeah. how, you know, how I spent an entire day recompiling the Kafka um, C library for PHP over yeah, and over that again was, that, that, was, that was a big issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, oh, and, that yeah, was a big one. The, what not having experience uh, does to you, despite all these obstacles, we were still that sure that, hey, that's the simplest way to solve the matter. Mm-hmm. To connect two systems that are incompatible is to create your own adapter. Jump through all the hoops, and that's the last one. I see it over there. That's totally the last one. We jump through that one, and we're golden. And it turns out the light at the end of the tunnel was because the tunnel was on fire. Because that yeah, was a freaking train yeah. coming right <laughs> at you. That was what the light was about. Yeah, I mean, this was six years ago, right? Like we were, yeah. <laughs> we were, uh, we were all learning a, a few things. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. With I mean, experience, not, right? Not, like, not to again blame anyone. Just as a showcase, like that's 
why experience helps. Yeah. yeah, I think I think regardless of whether you're considering a microservice migration or you uh, want to, despite everything we've just said, for some reason you want to bridge two messaging services that are fundamentally incompatible uh, conceptual level with each other. Um, for it. Get someone who knows what they're doing. Probably, <laughs> yeah. probably a good start. Um, but uh, right. you know what, you know what, guys, I think. Uh, well, one, we have a lot more we can talk about on this uh, on this project, and two, I think uh, Pedro was looking sufficiently depressed at the uh, at the memories of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of what we went through. Um, so maybe we should uh, maybe we should wrap this up. Uh, but it's it's definitely maybe maybe there's a tangential topic we can we can return to at some point. Yep, sounds good. On the next episode of Criticalio, <laughs> we talk about microservices again. On the next episode of Criticalio, we talk about trying to bridge zero MQ and... Oh, God. <laughs> we should have gone zero. Guys, we all know the truth. We should have gone with zero MQ. Zero MQ. And yeah, we know it. That would have <laughs> yes. solved everything. Sockets, totally. baby. <laughs> Sockets. And on that bombshell, uh, this has been the Critical Channel. These are all of the sockets you're ever going to need uh, if you want to uh, reach us on a HTTP, on a TCP socket over HTTP, <laughs> you can do that at criticalchannel.io <laughs> if you want to reach us uh, on the Twitter standardized protocol, you can do that at Criticalio uh, and if you want to find show notes for this episode, they're going to be at criticalchannel.io slash lucky13, there we go 13 of these things Man, we keep making them. Yes, we do. <laughs> we started on this ill-advised path, but we intend to continue. Despite, despite everything. Despite everything we've been talking about. All right, everyone. See you later. Have a good one. Ciao. Ciao. Bye.